Hey guys, uh, welcome to the latest episode of the SaaS Sessions podcast. Here's a story of today's guest and his businesses in numbers. So they have raised zero outside funding. They have grown 150% year over year in the past three years. They have grown their team from 10 people to about 130 people plus people now. And they have reached a whooping 8.5 million ARR in Q2 2020. So this is the story of Saravana and Kovai. Sarvana, who is the CEO of Kovai, is an entrepreneur, investor, and a technical enthusiast. Kovai is a premier enterprise software company offering multiple products at scale, both in the enterprise SaaS segment and the B2B SaaS space. So, hey, Sarvana, such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Sunil, for having me on the show as well, yeah. Great. So, like, I gave you a very short intro about you. I'm sure that people are excited to know more about you and Kovai. So tell us more about yourself and and then how Kovai started for you. Yeah, sure. I, I'm Actually, I'm based out of uh, London, but my entire team is in, in Coimbatore. So we have an office of, with about 10 people here in, in London and about 120, 130 people in, in, in India. Mm-hmm. So I came to UK back in 2000, like it's a typical outsourced uh, uh, offshore employee. And I worked in various companies in, in, in UK, mainly around the London area for about 10 years. And predominantly, you know, like I come from a complete Microsoft background, like it just, you know, that happened to be like I was working more on the Microsoft side right from the uh, beginning days of my career. And that's how my entire career spanned out. And for 10 years, when I was working for various companies in, in London, I was uh, specializing in a very specific product called Microsoft BizTalk Server. Mm-hmm. It is an enterprise class integration product. For those of you new guys out there, if you want to just to give a comparison, it's similar to Zapier. It's not similar. Actually, companies like Zapier has taken these uh, complex enterprise integration products and they simplified it for a modern modern world. That's how mm-hmm. they've been successful. But uh, if a BizTalk server is, is a really you know, top-end enterprise, enterprise product, like if you want to connect your SAP system with Oracle and PeopleSoft and that kind of enterprise uh, nature. Mm-hmm. So I was working for various companies for 10 years and uh, I identified a gap in the product from Microsoft when it comes to dealing with the large enterprise customers, like uh, in terms of security, monitoring, governance, operations, those kind of things. And then I just started it as a, just like a hobby project. And then in 2010, uh, I just started it as a, as a hobby project. And that's how our first product, BizTalk 360, was mm-hmm. born. And we, I just started from my, from my living room in, in, in London. And I was just uh, doing it myself for a while until I think the, for, to get up to the first 30 customers. I didn't have any employees. I was doing everything myself. Mm-hmm. And then I formed a small team in, in, in London. We reached about five people, all work, still working from my uh, living room, but I converted the living room into a proper office setup with, uh, with nice. uh, furniture and things like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that continued up to about 75 or 80 customers, I, I think, somewhere around that mark uh, till 2013. So between 2011 and 2013, that, that was our setup. So we reached about 75, 80 customers, enterprise customers. Mm-hmm. And then we saw a potential for the product to grow. And, and given the setup, you know, it's not feasible to have like a large team here in London. It, it may not be financially viable to for a product company to sustain. So that's when I thought, okay, let me start something in, in India. 
And the question came, okay, where in India then, like, you know, just uh, debated whether Chennai or Bangalore. And finally, I thought, okay, let me do something back to my hometown in mm-hmm. Coimbatore. And nice. that's why I thought, okay, well, let's start in Coimbatore. A lot of people gave feedback, like, you know, like, okay, you can't find fine people, good resources, it's going to be challenging. But I thought, okay, you know, like, uh, it's a different problem. So if you start in Bangalore or Chennai, I might need to struggle with attrition. But in Coimbatore, if I can get a handful of good people, I will be able to look after them and scale the company. That's, that was the decision I made in 2013. I think that now if I look back, that's one of the best decisions I have made. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from there, you know, like we started off with a small office for about 15, 20 people office in, in Coimbatore. And then in 2015, we set up our first proper office in a, in an ACZ area called Tidal Park, and for about 60 60 seater capacity. Uh-huh. And we we've been there for like nearly five years. So, so since last year, 2019, we were there. And then we decided, okay, you know, like okay. In the meantime, we also started investing in in other products. We saw these opportunities coming and then in 2017, we decided Document 360 is mm-hmm. a huge gap on the self-service knowledge base. So mainly for any SaaS companies uh, having like a knowledge base right now, they use uh, pro- products like Intercoms, Zendesk, Freshdesk, etc. Mm-hmm. But uh, they are not predominantly focused on knowledge base. They are very, you know, like they just focus more on a customer support, ticketing and chat and they pay very little attention to the knowledge base side of things and this is the pain point what we have faced ourselves when writing documentation for our enterprise products like Vista 360 and that's when we thought there's an opportunity and then we build we started building the product and now it's actually one of our fastest growing product in the in the company and in last year 2019 we decided okay we will take a next big step and we set up our new office in, in Coimbatore for, it can take up to 260 people capacity. Mm-hmm. We invested quite significantly. I think uh, the goal is, you know, to get the the best office in, in Coimbatore. So we invested right. about $1.2 million in Coimbatore just on infrastructure, internal infrastructure. Nice. Mm-hmm. So that's a massive investment for a city like uh, Coimbatore to, you know, we wanted to, you know, Ideally, you know, like we, we look after companies like Zoho and Freshworks and we feel, okay, nobody has taken that spot in Coimbatore, so totally. why can't we take it? And that is, that's why we thought, okay, we are putting a 10-year plan, so where we wanted to be in 2030, and we invested in that uh, office. And it's still, you know, due to COVID situation, it's not open yet. We couldn't open because it was supposed to open April, mm-hmm. just at the edge of COVID. And, you know, it's still, we have, we have everything set up but we are not using it full-fledged. There are only like about 10, 15 people visit for uh, some regular things, but other mm-hmm. than that, the office is not there. Okay. Yeah, I think yeah. I covered everything. Maybe I just mm-hmm. gone too, bare, too no, over. That's, that's really interesting, but Saravana, like, you know, a great story. And, you know, I think it's a good, a really good thinking and a good choice of selecting Coimbatore over Chennai and Bangalore, because I think it's the next uh, big thing happening in South India for SaaS right that's great and i i like i had a fellow founder from coimbatore who is surrender from adapt they are also based in and they were also he was also on the show before so that's really mm-hmm. interesting great and talking about like you know kovai and your early days at kovai back in 2010 2011 right so yeah. you you like you're you're bootstrapped right you have not raised any outside funds and i'm sure that there would have been some 
cases where you have thought of raising outside funds you would have approached investors or investors might have approached you so what mm-hmm. was the like what was the motivation behind keeping kovai bootstrapped and not not touching outside funds for you know for for growing or for scaling up yeah okay i think you know whether you need funding or not is a, is a decision you need to make because in my view you know like a lot of times you don't really need the funding or or basically you know if you don't need the money you don't take it that is why you know like we've been bootstrap there's nothing against you know we wanted to you know we are not uh, uh, we didn't want you know just simply say we will be bootstrapped all the time it happened to be like that because our first product best of 360 luckily it happened to be an enterprise product with a with a big ticket uh, price point so we're talking about at least a $10,000 uh, revenue per customer uh, but that's the kind of a market we were in mm-hmm. and we are constantly getting new customers uh, all the time so we are closing anywhere from you know 5 to 10 customers per month and uh, consistently month on month so when you have that kind of a cash flow like you know 15 to 100 50 50 to 100k revenue per month new revenue per month and your team size is relatively low there was no necessity for us to raise any any capital and that is one point and the second point is not all the products will require uh, money because if you look at bistro 360 it's a very niche market and even if somebody you know like a 5 million dollars i cannot spend that money and then acquire more customers because there is no opportunity for you to throw money and get more customers mm-hmm. so it's a it, it's only can grow organically so there's no necessity again from that point of view I, i couldn't you know like i can't utilize the money if i had raised it and the third point is uh, investors probably will not not every business is uh, is uh, suitable for uh, investors right so you know like uh, investors want a uh, high growth business uh, they want to see their money for 3x or 5x in like 5 to 7 years uh, time and bistock 360 is clearly not that kind of uh, business it's actually you know like a, a very niche segment and the market size is relatively low and it's a good for you know like uh, to to reach to a certain level that's not ideal for a vc thing and it also very difficult to explain to a vc like uh, what we are doing it's like a security companies some of the security companies it's very hard to you know like uh, there's a, only a segment of vc will understand what it is and then they can uh, go and invest so these are all some of the reasons why we didn't really raise the raise the money and what happened was when we were continuing in that same mode of very uh, frugal cost effective way for uh, for few years of course you you accumulated your backup and cash flow significantly then you reached a point automatically you don't need money anymore and that's what happened like for first four or five years we were very focused we didn't look about we were only focused on profit and we didn't really look at uh, scaling at uh, any cost model what a lot of companies are doing now so it's, you just optimized for first four or five years we were very focused and then we built up the pot and then eventually it became you know we don't need external money so we have all enough funding at the backup and then there's a new new revenue coming constantly there are new products coming in the company they are also making money and it just it created that snowball effect of okay yourself sustained automatically and that's what happened here that's really interesting i mean considering your customers as your investors that's also a great way uh, to grow and scale up right great points there saravana and 
and going back to again your early days right you were, you were getting a few customers you said you got 30 about 30 customers when you were just a single person working in mm-hmm. your room in london so obviously you felt the need of now hiring and you know delegating tasks and building a team and because you had a company right like 30 customers mm-hmm. incoming cash flow and you want to grow and you want to scale up so how did you build your early team like you know hire your first 10 15 20 people because Uh, always like you know when you start a company you hire 10 20 people and those first 20 people 10 20 people are are not more of your employees like they are the employees but they are more like a family right like you work yeah. close knit you work in same room you spend more time with them rather than when you like when you grow that's that's not going to happen obviously but when you're small like you get to spend a lot of time with your fellow employees or fellow coworkers so how did so, you go about hiring your first like you know first set of 10 15 20 people and you start delegating uh, your work to them start trusting in them and you know get their buy in also in in you know building this this dream of yours or this company of yours yeah sure i think you know the one of the biggest challenge what uh, many startups will face is building up the early team because you can imagine like you know how can you convince somebody to come and work on your living room you know there's no because these days when they look when they there's so much opportunity out there especially when you're living in a city like london and there are you know like you just there's so many opportunities you, you really can't you know convince and bring somebody on board so the way you can do it is you know you need to tell the story like you know like okay why you are building this product what value they are get, what value the customers will get out of it that is uh, one thing and also you some in the early stages you you you're not going to get the sometimes you're not going to get the best fit you know like you might want uh, really good people but it will be very difficult so you like in our early days what we had done is you know we just my first employee was actually just to cover all my admin kind of work so i was doing everything like you know like i was coding i was doing customer support and accounts and invoicing and everything and i just figured out okay where do i need really help at this stage of the business mm-hmm. then where can i get relatively easy resource to fulfill that the painful activity so i identified okay the accounts and is is a one area where i was really struggling and then i found somebody a, a local uh, person through a fr- through a friend and she was she was not even she was not working like for seven years break or something and and but she had a potential like she was able to very good in communication so i just took her and then you know like i trained that person myself and then gradually you know that that person grown in the in in the in in the company over a period of time so the initial stages the bottom line is you're not going to get the best employees you need to identify points where you have where you need help and then try to fill it up with people and then you know coach them and this is this the same pattern happened with you know one by one okay i need next i need support for uh, customer support and i need found, found somebody trained them and then that's where you know you, you the first early days it's it will take lot of time you can't rush and you know like you you will, you will be struggling in every possible ways but you need to address those pain points one by one and when the india operation started the 2013 mm-hmm. so there you know it's a very clean slate right i don't know like because i never built a company in india it's, it's everything first you know even right. finding finding an office space it took me a lot of time i found one that was not good and then you know like i i luckily got help from a recruiter who happened to be a good friend so through mm-hmm. that recruiter i hired like first three four employees there 
Luckily, it's very crucial. You get a good employees at the beginning. Those people are still with me. The first two, nice. three people are still with me. And they all grown in the company now. They are leading like a senior roles in design and, and even like running a product, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. the, those people all, you know, like a, from my side, the, it's very simple. If I can keep people happy, if I look after them well, and if they got the potential to grow, then, you know, you just say everything happens uh, magically. And from okay. there, you know, they brought their next set of people and they un- I pretty, pretty much interviewed everybody, even today, like if any, anybody about certain level, like I, I, it goes through me. So it's very careful how we build the team. So we look up so many things. It's not just, you know, if you're extremely technically good, that doesn't mean you'll get a job in Kohai now. You need to fit in various uh, other parameters or how well you can gel with the team and we can match it with the, with the people like, you know, like whether they will fit or not. So we said, yeah, it, it, until even, even 130 people, it's not a big company. If you, if you say, you know, like it's not that big, so we can manage it uh, well. And, and that's how, you know, the team has been grown organically. And now, now we run programs like full campus hiring. So we, we hire like 25, 30 people in a year. And then we put a six months complete training program. So we have full-time trainers. Uh, they, when they join six months, they, all they do is like a university kind of a style. Like they six months, they will be trained in all the core technologies, what we need for our products. And then we will place them into different departments. So we got like a very structured program now. And this is how the, nice. the team place has grown. Yeah. That's really great. I see that, you know, from, from your first hires in London and then your first few hires in India, you had really great hires who have now been leaders inside the company and, you know, are the driving forces for the company and for new people who are joining the team as well. But let me ask you something like contradicting, right? Like, did you have in your first 25-30 hires in UK, did you have any any bad hires that oh, yeah, you of had? And, and how are they bad or how they didn't fit in and how did you finally figure out that you know hey this is this is not working and how do you let them know because as a founder it's really i think it's really hard because at first you have to sell it's a small company again as i said it's like you know recruiting a family member right and then Mm -hmm. then telling them that you know hey this is a bad recruit for the entire family right so how did that like you know happen for you and how did you get out of that Okay, I think the thing is, you know, we we need to understand like both sides from an employee side as well as the employer side. Mm-hmm. Things won't match all the time, you know. Like the interest levels may be completely different. So you know, like it's a there are obviously you know if any any company any level you will end up making a, a bad hires. It's you know mm-hmm. it's it's, it's no. This is no rock, there's no rule basically. You know, if you yeah. look at the typical interview process, okay, like. A, what you can have like two, three, four levels of interviews. And then, you know, like, okay, maybe you're going to spend a maximum, let's say like seven, eight hours in, in a whole process. And it's very difficult to get everything in that, in that uh, few hours of uh, interaction with the, with the employee. So that's why all the companies got this probation period. It's like, you know, like it's, it's, it's both sides, right? Okay. You, you either the company may not like you or the reverse is also true. You may not like the company. So it both happen, you know, it, it will happen because it both needs to match, you know, the way we look at it is, you know, we need to align their interest with, with the company's interest. So if it says, if it's a misalignment, you know, it will not work. You, the way we look at it is you need to have skill and then the will with every employees. 
Sometimes you'll have the skill, but you will not have the will to work, put your efforts and do it. Sometimes you're willing to put your efforts and things, but the skills may not match. So that's where it, it things goes, goes wrong. Most of the time, you know, like we try to give them opportunities. Like we have like a very liberal, we don't, you know, like make a, a hire and fire fast. So we give them most of the time, it will be at least six months uh, time period, like a two, two cycles, two quarter cycles. And the first quarter is always experiments. We just give them enough time for them to learn and understand and get gelled with the company. And within 90 days, we will know whether that person is a right fit or not. And if we think there are some corrections or improvements need to be done, we give them the, all the feedback after three months. And, and then the next three months, we will keep under a, just a regular catch up and meet and then see like if they, if they come out. If they, if in case, you know, like if they don't suit us well, we just uh, you know politely say let let go. That is one scenario, and that is also a scenario where you know experienced people go wrong after a few years as well. That will also happen. Like mm-hmm. you know, the reason for that is people might become very tired after four or five years working in a similar kind of environment, and gradually their performance will start degrading. Mm-hmm. So the way we solve that problem, we understand you know yeah for anybody as a human being, you know it's not sustainable to do the same job, same kind of uh, thing for a very long time. So we just keep moving them and try to give them exciting stuff or give them more growth opportunities. So that's where, you know, like at early days, it's very difficult. But once you reach a larger size, like, you know, like 100 plus employees, you have a lot of opportunities in the company. And there is a really good, a lot of people would have come across a book from Jim Collins, like Build to Last. It's Mm -hmm. a a very famous analogy called... uh, it's like a bus, your, your company and the way you're running it is it's a bus. There will be people in the in different seats. Sometimes that seat is not suitable for them. You know, you're yeah. okay, the front, maybe they're big bit sick when they sit at the back side. So you need to move them to the front <laughs> side, right? So they'll get comfortable. Mm-hmm. So you do that as well, because sometimes you know they're really good and they but they're really kind of getting demotivated in where they are. Maybe it could be various scenarios. They don't like the team or they don't like the project they are in, they are something like that. And we spot them and then we move them around. And most of the time, they will do extremely well when, so once they move them and they find them uh, what they want. For example, re- even recently, we hired a girl for a recruit or recruitment team. She's extremely good. And then, and then she was not enjoying because, you know, she's not really happy to, you know, make calls and, uh, and follow up with people. So, but we spoke to her and what she wants and she said she wants to do something on the sales side and then we moved her to sales and now she's performing extremely well. You know, that's how, you know, you, you run the company basically. Oh, that's interesting and uh, really great way to approach like and, and a great, bu- great bus analogy as well, right? I mean, people are good, but if you put them in the wrong place, they're not going to be 100% yeah, it's correct. I think there's, you know, I like this uh, thing from, I think I, I learned from Girish, you know, imagine if somebody has taken Sachin Tendulkar and asked him to force him to do bowling alone, right? right. You would have lost right. a great batsman. That's very yeah. important you need to keep in mind because everybody got different skill sets. You need to match their skill set with what's required for the company. As I said, in the early days, it'll be difficult because you don't have that many opportunities in a company. But once you've grown to a significant level, we can fit them. There are so many opportunities in the company. We can fit them in different places. Totally. Great. So yeah, like, you know, really great insights on, you know, building our first team of 10, 15, 20 people. And it's equally important to, you know, pick and choose your first customers as well, right? Because they are the ones who's going to be 
working with you to be developing your product they're sort of your pseudo investors who are mm-hmm. investing in your product and it, like in return of using your product for sure so how did you go about like acquiring your first 30 customers all alone right like back in 2010 2011 yeah Okay, I think the few things that really worked out well for me without even my my knowledge. So, like, I'm a really a tech guy. Like, still, I I do write coding some for certain prototypes and things like that. Mm-hmm. I keep a you know very hands-on tech person. So, since 2004, I was a, I was a, I was telling you like in the first 10 years, I was very focused on this one particular product called Destruct Server. So, I was mm-hmm. I was writing some really deep technical blogs. Where at that time, you know, the blogs were very early, you know, people don't uh, casually write blogs like how they're doing it now. They're only like, you know, so it's a very small portion of people who are writing blogs at times. So I was writing blogs since 2003. And yeah. I, so far, I've written about, you know, 600 articles uh, in the last 15 years, but really pro- good, uh, good ones. So... Mm-hmm. For seven, eight years, I was continuously writing. And, you know, like I was also in 2007, Microsoft awarded me uh, something called the most valuable professional in that particular uh, area. Mm-hmm. So just to give you the, the scale, there are only 20 people in the world with the title for the technology. Oh. So so, nice. so you kind of automatically become an influencer within that community. So one side, you have that influential banner. And the other side, you also have a very powerful content engine, like a really good development blog and when i launched my product in 2011 it, it, i had about 50000 readers for my for my blogs uh, and they yeah. are like they are your ideal customers basically yeah. you know they are the ones who you know who, who are reading your content and that is where you are building a product is is more or less for the same audience so when i launched it all i did was i just put some blog posts and then that became my early acquisition channels. People nice. were, you know, every time I do a release, I just simply go put a blog post mm-hmm. and that are reaching like, you know, 15,000 readers, right? And every every time there's a release, the new signups comes, free trial comes, and then people even, you know, I didn't have any sales or uh, I was just uh, building the product and then writing a newsletter, uh, not newsletter, just writing a blog. That's all I did for first uh, year or something. There's no mm-hmm. proper acquisition. And that from there, you know, people started, you know, like I, the first customer came all the way from Hong Kong and the, I have nice. no connection with that person. He, they just called and they, they asked me to, okay, it's interesting what you're doing. And we had the same problem. Do you want to do a demo? And then that's how, you know, first uh, 30, 40 customers actually we acquired them. Even now uh, it's a more organic because of the niche market. And then we, we do have paid channels, but the majority of our leads and uh, conversions come through organic the blogs you know like that like nearly like 700 800 articles we have now that is our biggest asset and then you know we covered pretty much you know if today anybody searches anything related to that particular technology we will be on the top top three basically like you know and microsoft comes first sometimes and we will be mm-hmm. that, that 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 is how we acquired majority of our customers that's really interesting and you know about acquiring your first set of customers but you're slowly approaching like 10 million ARR and like obviously you have to go ahead from there as well. So what are the like current set of GTM activities that you're doing? You said like mostly it's organic, but and there's some paid yeah. as well. But what are some of the new things that are 
that you are trying on the marketing front since you said it's a very niche niche market and and it's 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 not understood by like many people but obviously there are people who understand it so how are you like what is your approach now in going behind those people as you said you don't need investor money for that because it's not like you throw in money and you get customers but then how are you approaching new customers right like is it i know it's organic but what are some of the different channels no, okay i think yeah, we didn't talk much about, you did mention in the intro, like we are a multi-product company. Uh-huh. So we are actually a proper multi-product company. Got so it. far, all our conversations went back to, you know, the original BizTalk. BizTalk, got it, yeah. Right, today we have four products, three of them are main, one is more of an accelerary product. Mm-hmm. So they got we got different GTM, different mm-hmm. products. So BizTalk 360 is a very niche market and that is mainly through organic. And that is, that's why that's not a really, you know, indefinite scale business that is going right. to be very niche. That's why VC money is not required for that. But if you look at Document 360, right, that's a typical SaaS product where, you know, like you need to acquire the customers and then nurture them and then, mm-hmm. and then convert them there. Mm-hmm. For Document 360, we use all those standard uh, GTM strategies, what any SaaS business will do now. That basically, you know, it may sound, you know, complicated, but it will come down to there are only like, you know, four or five channels available for you. You go for organic, of course, you you, you invest in content and SEO. So that a, we have a team of people doing that. Uh, so they do kind of research on important keywords we wanted to go after. And then we write some uh, really good content. That is one, one channel. And the second channel, of course, you know, you have the paid uh, uh, PPC through Google and Bing. That is another channel, which is pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. So you go after the same keywords where you cannot rank up and, you know, you don't have enough content. There's a really tough competition out there to come out. And you go, that's where you need money to throw. And then, you know, you, you get them through the, 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 the paid channel, Google and PPC. Third, of course, is, you know, there's uh, all the review sites are, are good, uh, good as well. Like we, you know, Captera, G2 and uh, Software Suggest and there's a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. So there we go both to paid and organic as well. So that becomes your third, uh, ch- third channel. Mm-hmm. And we also run a podcast uh, specifically for uh, knowledge base uh, people like who are tech writers in SaaS companies. We focus on that audience. So uh-huh. it's called the knowledge base ninja so we publish about four or five episodes a month. It's done by one of our customer success uh, uh, person. And that right. is another source as well. And what else? I think, and, and we have, of course, you know, retargeting and Google display and Facebook and LinkedIn mm-hmm. and social media. Okay. This is, this is how it comes down to, okay. Right. The way you need to do it is you need to build a really, really good product and you have a few channels. And organic can you can get you somewhere, but it's not going to make your business great. You need money to scale those uh, GTM channels. And then you have like a proper uh, sales team, SDRs and uh, behind the scene to take them, nurture them and convert them. Pretty simple business models, yeah. So th- I think it was a great, great, you know, conversation with you, Saravana. Let's, let's quickly move on to the lightning round. So I have three mm-hmm. questions for you in the lightning round. So let's get started, yeah. So first one, what do you know about your work now that you wish you would have known when you first started? I think one thing I realized is, you know, like you'll re- you will soon reach a stage where you really can't, you know, do proper work. So it's, it may look counterproductive. For example, you know, like these days, if I spend like five hours on a task, specific task, it's not scalable. So you need to keep that in mind right at the beginning, right from the early days, 
you bring you bring delegation as your number one thing you constantly look out for every time you're doing something it might look very simple or oh, it will only take 15 minutes for me 10 minutes for me but soon it will all accumulate and now my my biggest goal is constantly i look out for every such activity and i don't do it maybe it will take 10 minutes to do it maybe 90 minutes for me to set up and delegate it now i constantly put that effort in place so that i don't do that activity again if it's not required of course you can't do everything so you need to bring it down to you know the, the lowest possible day to day activities you 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 need to do because your time as a ceo when you're scaling is so should be more on a forward looking things like what are the next goals or what are the next big milestones etc mm-hmm. so that is something you know out of i could have started a bit more earlier yeah nice nice that's really great to know so yeah second one so what did your biggest uh, professional failure teach you i won't say there's any anything i regret basically you know i just go with the flow like you know whatever happened is happened uh, for good and then you know you it's a bit, one thing is don't get stuck on the past and also you know just never look at your look at the front front view mm-hmm. so you know that that's it basically you know okay mistakes will happen you know when you are moving when you are you know everything comes to it will, will be new for you because yeah you know every stage you move on it's a new new thing so you there's no way you're going to be 100% Uh, accurate so you just have a mindset of you know failure is part and parcel of the game but how well you recover and you also need to be very cautious there are two really good quotes one from richard branson and one from jeff bezos you know it's all comes down to the point of you know like don't as long as you're aware that that won't kill your company you know you're okay you just you're fine you just move on basically yeah mm-hmm. really interesting and then my last one right what's the number one thing that has helped you shorten your learning curve okay so it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's a difficult one like for me you know i read a lot of books you know like uh-huh. books uh, books help me i'm really you know i i never used to be a serious reader before i started the company i you know like i accept technical books i never read anything but uh, mm-hmm. since starting the company you know i just invested a lot of time on my reading i constantly read i think an average i read about at least two three books a month of two nice. at least a couple of books a books a month it is it, i think that that is, i think that's a good advice you know like uh, people who if you look at it somebody has written like a 200 page book but i put lot of effort and thought process into those uh, book and you can always what i do is i take only like three or four points from each book you know where a lot of mm-hmm. times people make a mistake of they read a book but they don't take out any action items so i what i do is a okay couple of points even sometimes you know you read 200 page book then sorry one actionable point you can take it forward so i take it and action it you know experiment it and then and then uh, that's how i accumulate uh, the number of uh, good things and the key point is you know like uh, the i kind of reached a stage where i need to be very careful i pick up the right books because you don't want to spend time reading not useful books so i, I keep looking out and whenever i see recommendations on twitter or uh, social media or either or any podcast i make a note i i sometimes a lot of times i buy the book and there are a lot of books there will always be a lot of books in my shelf where i haven't read it so once i am in the mindset i take it read it and then uh, yeah i continue the process yeah. that's really great and i i would love to know like what is since you said you read about two books a month like what's on your plate for this month <laughs> this month i'm reading the the new book from netflix founder the rules no rules no rules oh, no rules rules yeah yeah uh, so yeah, it, yeah. 
Oh, that's really great. That's my current one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it I takes about, yeah, about a week. I read, read about 40-50 pages uh, uh-huh. yeah, a day, basically, yeah, something like that, yeah. That's really great. So, hey, uh, thanks a lot, Saravana, for taking time and, you know, coming on the show. It's been really great speaking with you. A lot of learnings, a lot of insights from you there. Yeah. yeah thanks, Sunil, for having me on the show. Thanks.